Hey everyone, it's John, and I'm back. I know it's been a long time, and I've sure missed doing these podcasts. Uh, I I hope you guys can forgive this long layoff, Uh, but these last two semesters at school have really been challenging, and and I want to focus everything I can into this uh, educational process, uh, as you can imagine. Uh, I felt called to do it, and I want to give it everything I have. I'm back to uh, record a version of the systematic theology uh, event that I had to do uh, as a final project for one of my classes. In one of my last classes, uh, as some of you may know, I graduate in about a week. So um, my final paper was about uh, a plan about systematic theology. So I'm going to talk a little bit about it. Uh, I'm going to then do the presentation again uh, in here uh, as a podcast. Um, It basically was done online in Zoom during our life group or after our life group. Uh, last night. So thank you to those of you who agreed to be guinea pigs. And uh, thank you for uh, those of you who joined that weren't normally part of our life group uh, to see what was going on. Um, But for the rest of you who listen to the podcast, uh, here goes. And basically it started, the rationale for doing this project uh, was Daryl B. Harrison. I don't know if you know him, but He's the co-host of the Just Thinking podcast, recently tweeted, I'm finding increasingly in my travels that with regard to the matter of professing believers in Christ, understanding or not understanding critical race theory, the greater concern is not that they don't understand critical race theory, but that they really don't understand the gospel. Uh, This truth about lack of understanding of the gospel has been the motivation for my years-long educational endeavor to know God more completely. Uh, I read, listen to, and study the Bible every day. I also try to absorb all I can about society and culture. Uh, I've found two things to be true. People believe what they hear most and loudest, and that evangelical Christians are not speaking the objective truth of God in the Bible loud enough or often enough. It is my assertion that many choose to keep silent in the face of skepticism due to lack of personal understanding of the Bible uh, and theological doctrines that inform our belief in God. With that in mind, I've been sourcing matter on uh, material on systematic theology to lead a growth class or a life group. I'm not really sure which, but that's what this event was all about to determine what people were interested in. I proposed to give a preview during our life group. This was my rationale for the assignment. Uh, Our current life group that is studying uh, Francis Chan's The Forgotten God. I will present some of the basic material from several sources, including Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology book and podcast series, to gauge the interest level uh, and the need among our current group If successful, I will continue my research and offer to teach this as a growth class or a life group uh, at our home or home church. Uh, So that being the rationale for doing this assignment, obviously my teacher approved it, uh, my professor approved it, 
uh, and thought it was a good idea to to use our life group in this way to gauge uh, interest. Um, so I'm going to ask some questions uh, right now, and I'm just going to go one after the other. Uh, and these are just more for you to think about. You're feel free to respond to me uh, by email or on social media if you follow me anywhere there. Um, or reach out to me in person if you know me that way. Um, so the questions I asked before the event are as follows. Uh, where does each program fit into the overall organizational structure of the church? So when discussing doctrines or growth classes or life groups, where does that fit into the organizational structure of your church? Uh, what kind of regular training does your church provide for its teachers and leaders? Uh, does the classroom environment promote learning? Do you have a good understanding of the importance of the Bible as God's instruction to his followers? Uh, do you understand the characteristics of the Bible as a guide for us provided by God? Are you aware of programs that are designed to reach people for Christ or introduce them to your church? Have you participated in these programs? Is your church membership actively involved in foundational Bible study and personal growth? And finally, how are members educated in doctrine, church polity, missions, and how to share your faith? So those were the questions I asked the group prior to the presentation. And now I'm going to delve into the presentation. I'll probably take a quick break halfway through just to grab something to drink. And uh, my voice may not be up to this much talking. It's been a while. Um, so uh, Systematic Theology is uh, the title of this event presentation. Uh, my definition or the definition I found for systematic th theology is the attempt to summarize religious truth or belief or the belief system of a religious group such as Christianity through an organized system of thought carried out within a particular cultural and intellectual context. Okay, A common systematic order in Christian theology might begin with First, God and God's self-revelation. Second, creation and the predicament of sin. Third, God's saving work in and through Jesus Christ. Fourth, the Holy Spirit as an agent in personal salvation. Fifth, the church as the redeemed community of God's people. Sixth, the goal of God's program as leading to the end of the age. And finally, Christ's return and eternity. Uh, let me put a disclaimer in here right now. I have no intention of putting human thinking or philosophy above the actual words of God in the Bible. In 1787, J.P. Gabler asserted that the need for biblical theology to stand against systematic theology so that church doctrine would not predetermine the meaning of biblical texts. This began the practice of de defining biblical theology by contrasting it with systematic theology, historical theology, and pastoral theology. Systematic theology uses categories drawn from philo philosophy as well as from the Bible. Biblical theology uses categories drawn solely for, from scripture. 
I believe that there is no limit to what we can learn and know about God from his word. Um, I prefer the term biblical systematic theology because I'm going to seek to present the doctrines using a Bible first process that allows God to define doctrine through his words. Some discussion on interpretation may be necessary, but the ultimate word should be God's. And if he is not clearly telling us the answer, then we should accept the words of Deuteronomy 29.29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that that we may do all the words of his law. I'm going to take a brief break, and I'll be right back with you. All right, I'm back. Now we discuss the rationale and the definition of what I'm calling biblical systematic theology. Uh, Let's talk about the presentation itself. Now, in order to to do this or what I set out to do in a short period of time, I decided to discuss the four characteristics of, of scripture. So basically the doctrine of scripture, but specifically the four characteristics of scripture, which include authority, clarity, necessity, and sufficiency. Okay, Uh, so I'm going to discuss those now, define them, and we're going to discuss a little bit about each one of those uh, to see, to gauge how much people already know of this and whether or not people would be interested in delving deeper into these doctrines. So, Authority basically is asking, how do we know that the Bible is God's word? Um, The definition um, comes from Wayne Grudem uh, in his uh, book and podcast, Systematic Theology. Uh, And he says, all the words in scripture are God's words. To disbelieve or disobey the Bible is to disbelieve or disobey God. If we refuse to believe a scripture, we are refusing to believe God. If we refuse to obey a scripture, we are refusing to obey God. And he asks a couple of questions, you know, why do we why do we believe this? Okay? And and first of all and foremost, the Bible claims this for itself. And I know some people may say, well that's a circular argument. Why is the Bible authoritative because the Bible says so? That's uh, you know, a little, it, it seems like a circular argument, but the fact of the matter is the Bible does claim to be the word of God. The phrase, thus says the Lord, occurs 421 times in the English Standard Version. Uh, Deuteronomy 18, God's talking to Moses and He says, I will raise up a prophet and put my words in his mouth. So God is inspiring the prophets. And in the same way, he inspired the writers of the Bible, right? He inspired Moses to say what Moses said uh, in situations. He also inspired Moses to write uh, part of the Old Testament. And he inspired other writers to write other prophecies and other books of the Bible and and the New Testament, okay? So it comes down to a matter of do you believe 
what the Bible claims. Um, There's a lot of different schools of thought on inspiration. Uh, Some believe the Bible is only inspired like other good books with human authors, that that they receive some kind of inspiration to write their books. I don't don't think that that adds up in this particular case. Others believe that the Bible is only partially inspired by God. I don't, I don't get that one. I, how do you differentiate what's inspired and what's not inspired and what's half inspired and what's two-thirds inspired? Um, I, I don't buy that one. Uh, the Bible is divinely inspired because God concurrently worked with human authors to produce the very written message he desired. I think that's where, where it lands. Uh, for me, that's sparks of truth. Re- when reading the Bible, you feel the differences in the authors and the speakers. Um, but it's God's words coming through them, right? Many of them even say that they're speaking God's words. Um, the Chicago Statement on Biblical Inerrancy in 1978 confessed that, and this is in quotes, The mode of divine inspiration remains largely a mystery to us. So that just means we're not really sure how God did it, but that's okay, right? We talked about that before with that scripture from uh, Deuteronomy that the secret things belong to the Lord. We're not going to know everything. Um, Authors wrote God's word in much the same way as the prophets were ready to speak his word. Uh, Jeremiah 1, 4 through 9 states, Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, and before you were born, I consecrated you, and all that I command you, you shall speak. Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. And there it is again, right? Um, Also a part of uh, the authority of Bible is inerrancy, right? Which is a, a topic of a lot of disagreement. Uh, P.D. Feinberg defined inerrancy as the view that when all the facts become known, they will demonstrate that the Bible in its original manuscripts and correctly interpreted is entirely true and never false in all it affirms. Whether that relates to the doctrine or ethics or social or physical or life sciences. Um, Inerrancy extends only to the original biblical writings, also known as the autographa, autographa. Uh, Again, the Chicago Statement says that copies and translations of scripture are the word of God to the extent that they faithfully represent the original. So, you know, people can argue that it's been copied and copied and copied and copied, but the translations come from the earliest manuscripts that we have. Nobody is creating manuscripts from a 10th translation. They're going all the way back to the earliest original that they have to create translations, and they've done this since the beginning. Um, And finally, uh, Jesus himself uh, gives authority to the Bible. Uh, Some estimates claim that Jesus quoted the Old Testament 78 times and the first five books, the Pentateuch, uh, 26 times. He quoted from Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Psalms, Proverbs, 
Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Amos, Jonah, Micah, and Malachi. He referred to the Old Testament as the scriptures, the word of God, and the wisdom of God in various mentions during his ministry. Matthew 5.17 says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Moving on to clarity of the Bible, I define that as uh, the Bible was intended, uh, some believe that the Bible was intended only to be understood by scholars. I, I don't believe that. I think the doctrine of clarity says that the Old Testament and New Testament are written in such a way that they can be understood by ordinary believers. Um, so let's talk about understanding. Deuteronomy 6, 6 and 7 says, And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lay down, and when you rise. So would God be telling us to teach the scriptures to our children diligently and talk about them in, at all times uh, if they weren't able to be understood. Uh, Psalm 1-2 uh, says, But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Psalm 19-7 says, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul, the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. So making wise the simple. We learn from it. We grow from it. We know more because of it. Okay? The parable of the uh, sower in Matthew 13, uh, specifically in 1315, uh, says, For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes ha they have closed lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Uh, Jesus explains the parable of the sower. Uh, and if you remember the, the parable, it's the seed, right? Thrown on the path and the seed thrown in the thorns and the seed thrown in the uh, good soil. Um, and the condition of the soil in the parable is, the, is a metaphor for understanding. In verse 23, Jesus explains... As for what was sown in good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. So understanding comes with some effort. We have to want to learn and we have to try to understand by reading the Bible, right? Another uh, part of clarity is interpretation, right? Human interpretation has caused a lot of problems over the centuries. I, I won't disagree with that. Of course it has. It's been a part of human nature to question truth since the serpent originally created doubt by asking Eve, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden in Genesis 3.1? Since then, we've doubted everything. Uh, and and I don't know that a healthy amount of doubt isn't necessary as a human 
for us to want to learn more. If, if we think we know everything, I think that's self-righteous and we can't possibly know everything. So we should have some amount of healthy doubt that would cause us to be curious and want to learn more. Um, but it can go too far and you've seen it go too far. Uh, I think that the clarity of the Bible is a fact. It was meant for us to understand it. If we gave it the chance, we have to read it and we have to want to understand. Next, we'll talk about the necessity of the Bible. So here is where we get to a lot of questions that people ask Christians, right? Um, So here's the definition of the necessity of the Bible. The Bible is necessary for knowing the gospel, for maintaining spiritual life, and for knowing God's will, but it is not necessary for knowing that God exists or about his character and moral laws. Uh, So one can still know God without reading the Bible, right? It's clear. Look out the window. You can see evidence of creation, evidence of a creator everywhere you look. There, in my eyes, there is no doubt about that. And the Bible speaks of this as well, uh, calling attention to natural revelation, right? Um, But can somebody actually make the connection between knowing that a God exists and the actual gospel message of salvation without the Bible? And, And there I don't think so. I think that's why the necessity of the Bible exists, is that it provides us with that connection to the salvation message of the gospel. Uh, It gives us a guide for maintaining a spiritual life, and it gives us an understanding of God's will for us as we read through from the Old Testament into the New Testament and into the uh, apocalyptic prophecies. We understand what the entire story is because the Bible is a lot of books right? 66 books, but it's one story, start to finish, okay? Um, In Romans 10, 13 through 17, Paul quotes the Old Testament and talks about how can we call upon a being that we've never heard of, right? People who don't believe in God call on God all the time, uh, especially in moments of crisis. Uh, How can you hear a preached message without a preacher? And how would a preacher be able to preach without understanding of the message? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word. Uh, Can people find salvation without the gospel of Jesus? I don't know. I don't think so. I think somebody would have to tell it to them or they would have to read it in the Bible themselves to understand what's necessary for saving faith, salvation, through faith in Jesus and what he did for us on the cross. John 3.18 says, if you don't believe, you are condemned already. John 14.6 says, no one comes to the Father except through me, um, which directly refutes universalism, you know, or the theories of many paths to God. Um, A lot of people will then question, okay, 
So let's say that Jesus is the only path to God. What about all the people in the Old Testament that were uh, that tried to follow the law and that believed in God? Can they know God without the Bible? Um, yeah, I think it's pretty clear in the Bible how that can happen, right? People could look forward to the fulfillment of the prophecies of the Messiah in the Old Testament, right? Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, for by it the people of old received their commendation. So that right there speaks to the fact that the people of old did understand. The prophets told them that the Messiah would come in and provide salvation, and they believed it even though it had not yet happened. Uh, Hebrews 11.13 uh, says, These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. So they understood the prophecies of the Messiah and the salvation message before it happened. In Hebrews 11.26 says, He, meaning Moses, considered the reproach of Christ, the Messiah, greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. So he was clearly looking forward to the reward that would be offered by Jesus's work on the cross. Some alternate views that are out there, we talked about our universalism a minute ago, that all will be saved, that God won't really judge anyone. The Bible refutes that clearly and often. Uh, religious pluralism uh, is a belief structure that some people believe, and that basically says that all sincere religious people, regardless of what they believe, have a path to the one true God. Um, again, other religions don't believe in the saving grace of Christ, so I don't see how that's possible. Uh, inclusivism is another option, uh, that Jesus includes everyone, that all people will ultimately find out they were included despite never hearing or believing. Uh, once again, John 13, 18 says, if you don't believe, you are already condemned. Uh, so I don't see how that's possible. The Bible clearly refutes that. Uh, and uh, another one is annihilationism, annihilationism, uh, which means that everything's just going to see, not everything, people who don't believe will just cease to exist. There will be no condemnation. They'll be judged and they'll just cease to exist. Um, I, I think that that's wishful thinking. I think that that's a bad piece of advice to give to people. Hey, live your life however you want. You'll just cease to exist if you don't believe. Uh, you won't be punished. Uh, I think it's dangerous to preach that gospel uh, because you're you're telling people something that you can't possibly prove to be true. Uh, and the Bible says it's not. So uh, I would be careful trying to tell people that one. Uh, and then the last one is post-mortem evangelism, that some people believe that after death, everybody will be given one more chance. Like, okay, now you're dead. You know now that you don't just cease to exist, so you gonna believe now? I don't buy that one at all. Um, I, I don't know how that would be what God himself in the Bible describes as his judgment. Um, 
it doesn't make sense. Uh, so I'm going to take another quick break and then we're going to go into the last two, uh, sufficiency. Uh, I'm sorry. The last one is sufficiency. We've gotten through three, so I'll be right back. All right, guys, I'm back. Uh, and we're talking about sufficiency now, the sufficiency of scripture. The definition for sufficiency is that the scripture contained all the words of God that he meant for his people to have at each stage in redemptive history. And that it now contains everything that we need God to tell us for salvation, trusting him perfectly, and for obeying him perfectly. So basically breaking that down, it's sufficient at each stage of redemptive history. That means that in the Old Testament uh, times, uh, pre-temple, let's say, uh, that everybody knew who read the scriptures everything they needed to know. And then as prophecies were added as Israel fell and then Judah fell and then uh, into the Old uh, New Testament times, uh, at each stage, the books that were considered scripture were everything that the people needed at those times. And now we have everything we need, right, to understand salvation, to trust God perfectly, and to obey him perfectly. That doesn't mean we can trust uh, perfectly or obey perfectly or do anything perfectly. We can't. Um, but we have all the information to be able to do it in the Bible. Okay? So first of all, it's sufficient for understanding the salvation through Christ. First Peter 1.13 says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action... And being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Right? It's, it's pretty clear that it's sufficient for understanding salvation through Christ. Um, whether or not you choose to believe, whether or not you choose to accept Christ, whether or not you're, you agree to repent of your sins and surrender, that's a whole different story. But everything you need is there to understand what you need to do uh, to understand salvation, right? There is really no work to be done to gain salvation. It's freely given. You just simply have to accept it, okay? Uh, and if you don't, you don't. And if you do, obviously you do. But you, there's enough in the Bible for you to understand the consequences of that decision. Uh, second, it's sufficient for understanding how to live Christian life. Second Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent and equipped for every good work. Right? So whether it's raising children or doing business rightly or marriage and family or ministry, uh, you have everything you need to understand what the expectation is of you to do those things God's way. Okay? Uh, I, I think 
people argue against that all the time, that maybe the Old Testament was all rules and the New Testament eliminated the rules. And I don't agree with that argument at all. I think uh, clearly in the Sermon on the Mount and and Jesus's sermons through the uh, New Testament, he's not eliminating rules. He's basically making them stronger, right? Uh, Adultery is one of the Ten Commandments. Uh, But Jesus doesn't say that it's wrong just to commit adultery. He says in your heart you've already committed adultery if you just look lustfully on a woman who isn't your wife. So Jesus didn't lower the standards. In a lot of cases, he raised the standards. But keeping in mind that he knows we're imperfect and he died to cover our sins. Okay? So... Everything is there. The Bible is sufficient for understanding how to live the Christian life. Uh, It's also sufficient for understanding the will of God. Um, We can understand God's expectations by reading the Bible. Romans 12.2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, and acceptable and perfect. Again, not perfect and sinless. We're incapable of that, but we are able to know what the standard is and know when we fall short of that so that we can repent and try to do better, right? We can find all that God has said on topics and find answers to questions on the, uh, in the Bible alone. This is basically the Reformation doctrine of sola scriptura, uh, by scripture alone. Um, So in these four definitions or four characteristics of scripture, uh, authority, clarity, necessity, and sufficiency, uh, I've described some doctrines about the Bible specifically, but some Christian doctrines. Uh, And so the questions I asked now after this presentation was over were as follows. Do you understand God's purpose for the Bible better than you did before hearing this presentation? Did you learn anything from this presentation that you didn't know before? Uh, Second, would you benefit from further study into this doctrine and other doctrines, some of which I mentioned early on as an example, uh, systematic theology list. Um, Third, will further study in this area encourage your spiritual growth and bring you into a closer relationship with God? Uh, Next, uh, do you think that having this knowledge will help you with presenting the gospel to others? Um, During our life group, which kind of affirmed this project in my mind. Uh, I think it was God telling me that that I was on the right track by picking this uh, as my event uh, to work on. Uh, in our life group, we, we were talking about the Holy Spirit and, and what makes it so hard to evangelize, to talk to people in our daily life about the gospel. And what came to light was that people don't feel sufficient sufficiently knowledgeable to answer skeptical questions or responses 
when presenting the gospel to others. So that kind of affirmed that what I was trying to do here in my mind, uh, I felt like God was telling me, hey, if this group of people who are actively in a life group studying the Bible are struggling with knowledge and confidence, then maybe others are too. Um, So uh, the next question was, uh, would you attend a weekly growth class at your church if offered in the fall uh, on the topic of biblical systematic theology? Uh, Or would you be more likely to attend the class if it were presented virtually on Zoom? Uh, And just so you know, the the group that we had on there last night, uh, only a couple people answered that they would be more likely to attend uh, if presented on Zoom. Um, and, uh, uh, one of those people that, that said that is in our life group, uh, but isn't even in the same state that we're in. So, uh, if it were presented in zoom would be the only way she, uh, she could participate in it, uh, through our presentation of it through our church, uh, or as a life group. So, uh, Everybody else said that they would be more likely to go if it was offered as a live class, uh, which would be my hope. Uh, I don't want to leave out the people who could only attend through Zoom, so I'll I'll see what I can do. Maybe I can record it as a podcast uh, and and, uh, post it uh, weekly after the classes. Uh, and or something like that. I certainly don't want to leave anybody out that feels like they could benefit from the information. But that's it. That was my presentation. That was my um, final project uh, for the religion capstone class uh, for my religion degree. Um, I hope you guys gained something from it. I always hope that whatever... Whatever I'm saying is coming directly through the Holy or from the Holy Spirit through me. I, I do. I, I pray that the words that I'm given are correct. Uh, but if you hear something and you want to question it, please reach out to me. I, I am certainly just a human, and uh, and I have uh, made mistakes. Uh, I will continue to make mistakes, and when I do, I will research them and I will correct them. And I will uh, own them. So, guys, uh, until next time, that was my presentation. Reach out to me if you have any feedback. Uh, And until next time, rise up.